0: Thanks Bob. Appreciate that. So yeah, I've been part of the Minnesota District and part of the Northeast section for 23 years, pastoring in Big Fork for 10 years and now 13 years in Cloquet. It's been an incredible blessing and uh, this is the first time I've gotten to stand up here with this microphone so it's a little bit scary. You know what I mean? I was thinking, man, I should be back in some little room downstairs. But here we are, super excited to be here. Um, let's open with a word of prayer, and then we'll get after the uh, six working geniuses. So Heavenly Father, thank you for this uh, moment that we have together. Lord, uh, we pray that it would be fruitful and effective, and that something good would happen, that you would help us to grab hold of a holy thing so that we can serve you better. So Father, I pray you'd bless our time. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. I'm not sure if we have a PowerPoint or not, but if we do... You can put the, oh yeah, come on. Look at that. There we go. So this is a very, very fancy um, book review is basically what this is. So uh, for me, uh, I have been basically trying to figure ministry out now for as long as I've told you. And it's a tricky thing. You know what I mean? Trying to activate the church to be successful is sometimes difficult, and I'm looking for as many tools as possible to be successful with that. And at Good Hope Church, uh, as Bob indicated, uh, we have a, a model that we want to do there to activate the church, and that is basically we want everybody to reach their full potential in Christ that attends the church. If that happens, then it doesn't really matter, I mean the stage has to be good enough. But if the people that are attending are meeting their full potential and you got 70 people in church, now you're going to have 120 people in church. And if you got 120 people and they're all meeting their full potential, you're going to have 180 people. And it just kind of keeps going like that. Because when God's people are successful in serving Jesus, they produce fruit. Now, uh, I do believe that there's some meat left on the bone as far as Christians meeting their full potential in Christ. You know what I mean? Like, how many potential pastors, how many potential missionaries, how many potential volunteers, how many potential tithers, how many potential, you know, life-giving believers are there even at this conference that haven't met their full potential? How many in our congregations haven't met their full potential? How many... Latent Christians out in the community that don't attend a church, that don't participate in a significant way, are there? What could we do if we maximize the potential of every individual in our groups? It would be amazing. But the problem that we have, of course, is that, uh, as you might have heard earlier, you know, society isn't going the Christian direction anymore. It just isn't. We're losing. If you go from 1990 to 2021 and you look at uh, the statistics, basically in America we've lost 90 million people. We're down 90 million from the number of people who say, yes, I'm a Christian, to saying, no, I'm not. 90 million people. We went from a 90% share of America was like, yes, I'm a Christian in 1990. In 2021 it was 63% representing 90 million people. We're losing. Why are we losing? I think it's fairly obvious. It's because the branches aren't bearing fruit. Amen? If the branches bear fruit, then we're seeing multiplication. We're seeing progress. Um, So we want the branches to bear fruit. And uh, I remember years ago, just a sec. In my in-law's house, because I didn't grow up in a Christian home. I suppose I should say a little bit about myself so you know who I am. Hi, I'm Mike. Again, I've been a pastor for 23 years. I did not grow up in a Christian home. I got saved by the miraculous intervention of God when I was 19 years old. Um, Didn't have a church family. Didn't know, boy, I knew some Christians that I'd met maybe a month before. But other than that, you know, I didn't know any believers. And uh, not any family members, not any of my friends. I didn't have any context for Christianity. It took me a long time to really come to grips with what was going on in my faith and how to serve Jesus and how to do all that sort of thing. And it was a big uphill battle. And then I married Trinette, my beautiful wife, whose father incidentally led me to the Lord so many years ago. Um, and they had a... A big plaque with Matthew 11, uh, was it 28 through 30? The whole, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You know, Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Uh, You know, he's humble and gentle in heart. We'll find rest for our souls, for his yoke is easy and his burden is light. And I remember reading that and going, that's just not true. You know, it's some kind of bait and switch thing or some kind of cute little idea, but... His yoke is easy and his burden is light. My life was fine. And coming to Jesus ruined my life. You know, know, I mean, in a pretty legit way. Um, And so I've always been trying to find out how do you grab hold of that? And one of the things that when I was seeking the Lord on, you know, you know, Jesus, I know you weren't lying when you said your yoke is easy and your burden is light, but I'm not finding it. You know, I'm, I'm not even understanding how to get close to that. Um, there was a couple things that the Lord showed me. The first one was, if his yoke is easy and his burden is light, that means we got to take the other yokes off. You know, if you want to please people, take those yokes off. You want to Solve every problem for everybody. Take those yokes off. You need to measure up according to what other people think. Take those yokes off. you got that anger and bitterness and the grudges you're holding. you got to take those yokes off. There's all these things that we just take off because if we're just going to throw Jesus onto the pile, that's not easier. We take these other ones off, and we just walk away a follower of Jesus. And the other thing was, his yoke is easy and his burden is light means that we need to live in our callings. We need to do the things that give us energy. If you are in the wrong area of service, it's going to be frustrating and boring and you're not going to be good at it and people are going to get mad at you even though you're serving sacrificially and it's just not going to work very well and it's going to be difficult. And so I've always looked for uh, tools to help you know, activate and actualize believers so that they can be more effective in serving Jesus and get closer to my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And I do believe this uh, Six Types of Working Genius by Patrick Lencioni is actually a pretty good uh, tool. It's designed for the workforce. It's not designed for Christian service. But, you know, we've got work to do. And so this is kind of like your personality test for work. What's the type of work that you like? And how do you get involved in that part of work and not in something else? Because if you're not called to, say, kids' ministry and you end up in kids' ministry, is it going to feel like my yoke is easy and my burden is light? It's going to be rough. You know, uh, my wife loves paperwork, I do not. If I have to do the paperwork, it wears me out before I even start. When she does it, she loves it. And she's given energy before she even starts. So let's take and uh, the first part. We're going to kind of do an overview of what the six working geniuses is. And then uh, by Patrick Lencioni, we've got all that information up there. Uh, But here's the six types. We're going to briefly talk about this. We'll go into it some more and get into uh, deeper uh, detail on it. But uh, I just want to give a picture of the model. So it spells widget. You know, I I think they sort of did that on purpose. But, uh, you know, it's wonder, invention, discernment, galvanizing, enablement, and tenacity. And you don't need to understand what that is at this point. But those are the six types of working genius. And they all work together. You can see an arrow coming in at wonder. It starts there. It works through the process. And after tenacity, that's when you've accomplished the task. So let's go to the next slide. And uh, it says that we've got three phases of getting things done. There's the ideation phase, which is somebody's got to come up with an idea. I'm a church planter. Love church planting. See some church planters out here. And, uh, you know, that's sort of like, man, I got a great idea. Let's go start a church. You know, we'll call it this. We got this idea. We're going to do some fun stuff. You got to have an idea. And then... You've got to get that idea going. I got, uh, had the privilege of hearing Brother Barnabas from Tanzania speak, and uh, he said, every strategic plan needs a strategic implementation plan. And I thought, oh man, that's good, because I can come up with the plan, but I don't have a plan for it to happen. I just am like, boy, it'd be neat if, and then I don't know what to do. And that's... The next part, which is the activation phase, like you've got to refine what you're doing and make sure you've got a good plan, you've got to see how it would actually work, and then you've got to mobilize people, get them going to make the thing happen, and then you've got the third phase, which is the implementation phase, which is, you, you know, you do it, you actually do it. So you have your launch service, and you go ahead and you've got your different ministries laid out, and now you go ahead and do it. You make the, the, the church happen, and so you implement it. And there are working geniuses in each one of these three areas. There's two in each area. And in fact, each one of us has two working geniuses, kind of two of the six that they like to call competencies, which means you can do it, you might even be pretty good at it, but it's not going to feed you deep down in the long run. And then two working frustrations. These are things when you're stuck doing them, especially for a long period of time when you don't get to do your geniuses, that you end up in burnout, you end up in a rough spot. And there are these six things, and they come inside of this process of the idea phase, the uh, activation phase, and the implementation phase. Each one of us kind of enjoys different pieces of this process. And so let's look at the six um, geniuses in a little bit more detail. So let's move through. Uh, The first genius is the genius of wonder. My two, just to, to out myself right away, I am a wonder and invention person. These are my geniuses. I can sit and think about stuff. I don't have to actually do anything. We can talk about what the hopes are for the future and then go home. And I am completely happy even if we don't do anything. Because that's where I'm at. Until after a while I wonder, how come we're not doing anything? And then (laughs) then I get frustrated. But the genius of wonder is the natural gift of pondering the possibility of greater potential and opportunity in a given situation. People with this genius are constantly curious and on the lookout for what could be improved. So as, you, as I mentioned earlier, you know, I'm, I'm, how can we activate the regular believer? How can we get people going? How can we get people serving the Lord and meeting their full potential? I wonder how we can do that. Do we have tools to do that? You can see the wonder in that. And then the next one is invention. You wonder, how do we do this? And then the invention is, here's a solution. The natural gift of creating original and novel ideas and solutions. People who have it love to generate new ideas and solutions to problems and are comfortable coming up with something out of nothing. Some people, they're like, you got a problem? Give me a half an hour to think about it, man, and I will come up with a solution. And that's going to be fun. I'm going to love that. Other people would think, oh, you're not going to expect me to come up with a new idea here, are you? Like, I don't want to do that. Some people aren't good at coming up with the idea, but they're good at evaluating the idea. And that's where we get to the next one, to discernment. Discernment, the genius of discernment, is the natural gift of intuitively and instinctively evaluating ideas and situations. People with this type of genius have a natural ability when it comes to evaluating or assessing a given idea or situation and providing guidance. So basically, um, you know, I can come up with an idea because I've been wondering and now i got a plan and then my wife uh, discerns my ideas. And (laughs) And sometimes they're not that good of ideas and they need to be discerned. And sometimes it's been actually very helpful learning this process because guess what? Without all six... It doesn't work. It isn't, this isn't like, well, if we just get around people like us, if we just get a whole bunch of inventors together, it's going to work great. You get a whole bunch of inventors together, and you have a lot of fun, but nothing actually gets finished. And the refining of the process isn't there. So discernment is very, very important. It's almost like intuition or acumen. Like you can tell what's going to work. You can tell how to shift this so it would work better. You understand how to do that. But sometimes it's helpful for you to have a framework, a thing to evaluate so that you can deal with it. But you don't want to come up with it from thin air. But wow, you can really help refine it. That's discernment. Then my strongest, uh, the next one, galvanizing. My my worst frustration is galvanizing. This is well, I'll just read it: the natural gift of rallying, inspiring, and organizing others to take action. People who have it enjoy bringing energy and movement to an idea or decision. Does that sound like a frustration for a church planter? I tell you what. If you can't rally a group of people, you're planting a church by yourself. So that's dangerous. So, you know, what do you do? This galvanizer, this You know, almost like a a salesperson, somebody who can go get some people and can, you know, like, ah, I don't know, man. You're like, no, no, it's going to be awesome. Come on. And they can talk people into things and they can get them excited about something they weren't excited about a while before. And, you know, like that is down on the bottom. You know, when I was in Big Fork, I don't think we invited anybody to church until the third year. The first reason was because church, we were just bad at it, you know. We weren't good at doing... Ch- he passed in Big Four, too. So Anyway, uh, you know, we just weren't very good at it. And so you don't want to invite people, and then they see how bad you are, and then they talk about you around town, like, wow, they're really bad at that. You know, like, So you don't want to invite people for that reason. But also, I'm just terrible at galvanizing. It scares me. You know, if, if I'm trying to sell something to somebody, and they're like, well, I don't really want that, I'll be like, oh, well, you shouldn't get it then. You know, like, <laughs> I, think, I think we're done here. You know, like, I'm just very bad... At galvanizing. It's not my thing, but for some people, they're like, oh yeah, give me a room, give me a person. I want to talk them into something. I want to, I want to get them excited. I want to do that. I am better at that with a group than I am one-on-one. In fact, in a group, I can do wonder and invention in front of everybody, and then people take it as galvanizing. Because they're like, yeah, we should do that guy's invention. You know, We should, we should do that. But that's galvanizing. Then enablement is the next one. The natural gift of providing encouragement and assistance for an idea or project. People with this type of genius are quick to respond to the needs of others by offering their cooperation and help with a project, program, or effort. So if somebody comes up to you and says, Hey, I really need some help with this. Uh, can you help me with... And then you're like, Oh yeah, for sure. What is it? You know, I don't even know what it is yet. I, I will help you because I just... Get fed by helping other people. This is the support person. This is the person who's like, you know, I will do the thing that you need done because I care about you. I love you. I want to help you. You know, I'll be there for you. And they're like, yeah, I did what they needed me to help them with. This is enablement. I like the word support, but it doesn't spell widget. So uh, enablement is what they have here. So and then the last one is tenacity. So the last genius, the natural gift of pushing projects or tasks to completion to achieve results. People who have this genius push for required standards of excellence and live to see the impact of their work. So the classic uh, activity of a tenacity person is when they've accomplished something but it's not on their list, they'll write it on their list and then cross it off. How many people have ever done that? You write it on your list, you cross it off, you're like, yeah, that's done. You know, tenacity means you like to finish the project. My wife is a, tenacity is one of your geniuses, and it is one of my frustrations. My frustrations are galvanizing and tenacity, so I'm not really going to get much done if I'm left by myself. So, uh, in fact, I would come up with ideas, this has helped our marriage, you know, because Remember the fish house, the portable fish house idea? So I had this great idea about a portable fish house. This was back before they had all the nice ones. You pop them out with the hubs and stuff. You know those are fantastic, but living up in Big Fork you gotta go ice fishing. So I wanted to have a portable fish house you could fit in the back of the truck. So I'm talking about, well you get two by twos and you make six four by eight panels and you hook them together with hinges and then you can fold it all up. All one big unit. Throw it in the back of a pickup. You got a floor section. You got a roof section. It'll be great. I talked about it for like two years. Her geniuses are invention and tenacity, mine are invention and wonder. So I like to come up with an idea and then think about it some more. And then, you know, idea, think about it. Her deal is, idea, do it. And she, you were really mad, she said, look. I will buy you the materials to build that fish house. Either you build it or you never talk about it again. You're driving me crazy. And uh, so a friend of ours was like, well, you can build it in my garage. Let's build it. So we built it. It was fun. But I never, ever would have done it because I was perfectly happy just to think about it and enjoy the concept. But that drove the tenacity person crazy. And... Of course, nothing gets done when you just got your head in the clouds and you're enjoying ideas. But if you don't have the idea, you don't have anything to do. And so it actually requires all six of these steps. So let's go back to that pyramid of getting stuff done. Let's put these things on there. So we've got the ideation phase is wonder and invention. So this is where the ideas come up. And then the activation phase is discernment and galvanizing. This is where you refine the idea and you you get people going, ready to make it happen. And then the implementation phase is enablement and tenacity. So again, wonder, you know, you're just thinking thoughts, they might not even really go anywhere, but you're thinking, you know, why are we losing when we have Jesus on our side? You know, you'll wonder those sorts of things. And then you come up with an idea. Let's activate the body of Christ so that they bear fruit for the kingdom of God. Then we won't be losing anymore because we're going to see increase. And then somebody has to say, well, you know, how exactly are we going to do that? You know, what's the process for that? You know, what do you need to do? Uh, you can Then that's the discernment. And then somebody has to rally the troops. That's galvanizing. Somebody has to be rallied. That's enablement. And then somebody has to just really enjoy finishing the job. And that is tenacity. And you can see fewest people need it at the top and most people need it at the bottom. One of the ministries that I find most powerful is is the greeters at church. Any greeters in here? Oh yeah, there we go. Fantastic. I love being a greeter. And I I want to talk about greeting from the wonder and invention phase, but I also like doing it. I always also appreciate doing it, and uh, the reason for that is because when I got saved, I did not fit in. Any anybody not fit in in church? like, like I did not fit in at all. I was not. I didn't know. The stuff, you know, when to stand, when to sit, you know, to go to church or not. I didn't know any of that stuff. They would say things like, what did they used to say, you know, uh, God is good. And I'd be like, yes, he is. And they'd be like, that's not what you're supposed to say. I'm like, I don't know (laughs) what's going on. You know, I didn't know, you know, back then I had long hair, was so great, torn up jeans, philosophy student, you know, I, I asked terrible questions and they didn't know how to handle me. And I was also extremely introverted with a pretty legit amount of social anxiety. Um, and so interacting with humans was not necessarily my favorite thing. I'd go ahead and I can think lots of thoughts for a long time, but I didn't necessarily want to interact with people. And so I had a, a, like a, a pre-made rejection wound before anything even started. And so when someone walks in the doors of the church... I can feel it. You know, like for the greeters. I don't know if they teach you this, but if I was at your church, I'd teach you this. At three steps, you know what's going on. When they come in the door and they take three steps and stop, that is the exact moment they need to be engaged. Because they don't know where to go. They don't know if they belong. They don't know which direction what is. You know, who is here? They just they stop and they're looking around and if a smiling face can come up to them and care, it can change everything. Because how many desperate people who want to find out if anyone cares and if there's a God who cares are going to walk through the doors of a church sometime in the next year? More than zero. And if that person walks in, takes three steps and stops, and everybody's talking to each other, and they don't know what to do, some of them are going to turn around and know that no one cares and God doesn't care either. And so we need to see that. But it's going to take all of these different steps to get all of the different parts of church to work together. So you can see, if I just say, you know, open a door for people when they come to church, that's not enough. We have to understand, have the idea we got to motivate people. And then we've got to put it into practice. So we have to have all these different parts, pieces of the puzzle. Now, I mentioned earlier that everybody has two geniuses, two competencies, and two frustrations. And by the way, we'll, we'll put that slide up again at the end while we're doing question and answer time that has the website. There's a book. You know, you can get the book. There's a podcast, Working Genius Podcast. Um, It's all in here, so I'm just copying everything from this. So any information, any of the slides that you want, you can go to workinggenius.com and get all the information there. So uh, I really do believe in this model because it helps you see where you are in the process, who you are meant to be, and how you can grab hold of uh, the, the best potential that you have for the body of Christ. So some people, you know, you don't want to have too many cooks in the kitchen, so fewer people are needed up in the idea phase, but we need more greeters than we need people who are going to teach greeting, so we need a lot more people in that tenacity phase. We need people to work on the processes and that sort of a deal in the middle, the activation phase. So we all need to grab hold of those different things. And so there are things that we've learned through this process. And let's go ahead and put those ones up. So. Uh, go to the next slide. The benefits of the working genius model, this is just our personal experience. So uh, we've been working this with our staff now for six months maybe, I don't know, three? (laughs) When we had our board read the book and we're going through it and trying to figure out how to get this to work. Um, The benefit, one of the first benefits I thought, is it allows you to see the whole process. Because what would happen with me is I'd come up with an idea. I wouldn't really know what was next and I would think maybe it's just do it. But there's the discernment, the galvanizing process that we need in order to be able to get this to work. And if we don't do those things, it's not going to happen. You know, if we can't rally a group of people around this project, it's not going to happen. You know, your guys' dad is planting a church in the fall. He has got just the same amount of galvanizing as I have, which means that we're going to need to help him recruit, or else it's going to be very difficult for him because he's going he's to break down in the recruiting process. And so we need more people there. It takes the whole process for this to work. So you just don't take somebody who doesn't have galvanizing, motivate them, and now they're trying to do something they're not good at and they don't have a proficiency for. It's like, Well, guess what? You need to find some recruiters then. You need to go to the area where you're planting a church and find two or three people and give them a list. We need these volunteers. We need these people to do this thing. And you go send those two, three people out there to find as many people as they possibly can, and they'll bring them to you, and now somebody else is doing the galvanizing, and there's a few people out there that are like, oh, yeah, I want to go find some people. I'll do that for you. You know, if they're enablement and galvanizing, they'll be like, I'd love to help you with that, and I love talking people into stuff, and then they'll go do it, and you're not going to get wore out. But you've got to see the whole process. Another thing that we see in church planting is, uh, you know, that, that third one, which uh, my wife and I uh, sometimes refer to as wet blanket. I refer to it as wet blanket. We did score the same on discernment, by the way. It's just a, my wonder and invention are so high uh, that discernment is just pretty far away from those two. Uh, and it, you know, just that. I don't want to evaluate it. I want to dream about it. I don't want to say, well, this part of it probably isn't going to work. And, you know, do we really have the horsepower to do that? I just want to think. You know what would be awesome? A hot air balloon ministry. That'd be fantastic. And then we can enjoy the whole idea. Like it will be up in the sky. We'll spell Jesus. It'll be fantastic. You know, like. And of course, that is not ever going to happen. And somebody has to say, well, how much is that going to cost? Do you really have access to hot air balloons? You know, like. Uh, and it'd <laughs> be like, no. Uh, and <laughs> and so the ideas oftentimes get taken out. But isn't it better to stop an idea, that's not possible than it is to actually try to make it happen and then how much better is it to actually refine that idea that's the power of discernment is to refine the idea so that it's actually more workable Um, when we so we planted in big fork and then 23 or uh, 13 years later we planted in cloquet and uh man did we learn a lot of lessons planting in big fork so sorry bill for what you had to take over but um we learned so many lessons, and then we were able to do it again, and it was like the discernment process forced itself on us because we saw, oh, we did that, that caused this problem. Okay. And then there was one that was like seven years in before it showed itself, something that we built into the DNA of the church, which sounded like a really good idea, um, which was we're going to work together. Doesn't that sound like a good idea? Here was our plan. We're going to pray. We're going to worship God. We're going to preach the word. People are going to get saved. And we're going to work together to reach the community and the world. Does that sound like a good plan? I thought it was a good plan. But we're going to work together is not a very clear leadership structure. And so what it did was that it created an environment where leading was difficult for the pastor. Because, hey, we all can hear from God, so we all should have a say. And then it was like, oh, yeah, but now I'm having trouble leading because I've sort of told people that, you know what I'm saying? There has to be discernment in there. And sometimes it's not fun because who's going to say to the enthusiastic young church planter, oh, we're all going to work together, that's a terrible idea. What's wrong with you? You need to have a clearer leadership structure or you're going to end up losing control of the organization. Like, who's going, you know what I mean? That's not all that much fun. But I tell you what, having a clear leadership structure when we planted in Cloquet was wildly helpful. Wildly helpful. So, oftentimes I think in the church world, the discernment piece is one that's missing. We have an idea, we galvanize, and we do it. But we need to wonder if we're actually going the right direction. We have to uh, have some intuition and refine this to make sure we're doing this well. And then things are going to work a lot better. So it allows you to see the whole process. Helps people get in the right seat on the bus. This is fantastic. Can I use you as a, uh, an example, Trinette? So uh, Trinette is my personal assistant. Isn't that my wife Trinette? Isn't that good to have a wife as your personal assistant? Because she's right there, she gets all my emails, you know, she's got access to my phone, she can see anything that's happening, she knows what I'm up to, you know, so having my wife be my personal assistant great. Except for enablement is a working frustration. Her, she just hates helping people on their terms. <laughs> so is that good for a personal assistant? Not really. We're going to be making some adjustments. That's going to be helpful. So. <laughs> and it'll be helpful for you too. Because here's the deal. When we're in our right spot. It works and it flourishes. And we're not in our right spot. It's hard and it's difficult. And God has gifted each one of us in different ways. And we need to lean into our giftings. Not force ourselves to do things that aren't who God created us to be. Now. Now occasionally you know you got to make it happen I'm not saying you don't have to make it happen sometimes but if you're always making it happen and you're never walking in your giftings boy you're, you're not going to last so it helps people get on the right seat on the bus which leads us to curbs burnout and frustrations at work um, so curbing burnout I'm going on sabbatical on Monday so I guess uh, I'll, I'll curb burnout that way but the reality is is you can't rest your way out of burnout um. I've taken, you know, like two days off and then gone back to work and been like, oh no. And I'm like, I'm rested up. Why, why am I already tired before I've even started doing what I need to do today? It's because the things I need to do are things I hate doing, I'm not good at, and they just kind of suck the life out of me. We can help curb burnout by trying to minimize the amount of time we have to spend in our working frustrations and maximize the amount of time that we have in our working geniuses. So for me, wonder and invention. I always used to feel guilty for spending time wondering. You know, like, what are you actually doing? I grew up in North Dakota, you know. North Dakota and Minnesota are a little bit different. Uh, Here was... I don't know. Uh, let me know if the Minnesota people know this. Do you know what the welfare system is in North Dakota? Cross the river. That's the, that's the welfare system. they like, go to Minnesota. If you want some help, go over there. If you want to work, you stay here. That's the mentality. And so I grew up with a work mentality. You know, you do things. At the end of the day, if you haven't earned your keep, what good are you? you know what I mean, that's, that's the reality of it. And so, wonder. I don't know, I thought about stuff. Didn't feel like I was doing anything. And so I only did that in my free time. Otherwise, I would do work. You know, (laughs) church work. And then I only took time for wonder and really invention in my extra time, which means I had no time. Because that's where... I got fed, that's where I went and got stuff, you know, that fed my soul and was really uh, something that could be implemented that was meaningful and powerful, but since I felt guilty about doing wonder and invention, I was like, well, I can't do that at work, because that's not really work, you know, like enablement and tenacity, maybe galvanizing, that stuff is work, so I should be doing that, and so I would do that, and, but then... You know, it just doesn't quite work after a while. And now I realize, well, I need to make room for wonder and invention in my day. And no wonder I'm tired before I start. Um, So it helps us to uh, get rid of those things that feed burnout. And I don't think you can rest yourself out of burnout. You need to add fuel by doing your geniuses. If you're a tenacity person and somebody just says, well, just just pray. Just seek the Lord. And you don't have a list of things to do. It's going to be very hard for you. You've got to do the things that give you energy. Do the things that feed you. You've got to build that inside of you in order to curb that, um, that burnout or that frustration. Then uh, I think the next one was identifying team gaps. Is that the, the fourth one on there? Identifies team gaps. This is something that's actually wildly helpful. Because if you look at your team and you realize there isn't a single galvanizer on this team, there isn't anybody that can talk anybody into anything or rally the troops and we need 50 volunteers to make VBS work this year. And guess what? It's just going to be us in the committee doing it again because we can't recruit anyone. Now all of a sudden you realize, oh, we don't have a galvanizer. We don't have someone who can bring this to to the people to activate them into participating. And so then... The committee ends up doing all of the work without activating people into it. But guess what? There's somebody who's pretty excited about finding 40 volunteers for your VBS. And if, if you can get that person into doing that and they succeed and you just are like, wow, you did it. You've changed our lives. You know, like VBS is the greatest thing ever now. Then all of a sudden now you've got something. Like I talked about, if you don't have discernment, then all of a sudden you can have a lot of problems. You can identify the team gaps by working through this six working geniuses model. And then the, the last one is diminishes frustration in meetings. So uh, it diminishes frustrations in meetings. I would even say diminishes frustrating uh, frustrations in conversations. Because um, you can be having a conversation and you can be in different places. One of the ways they describe it in the Working Genius podcast and in the book is different elevations of work. So wonder is like the fifty thousand feet, you know, like you're you're way up there, you're just kind of looking at everything, and then it is all the way down to uh, tenacity where it touches the ground. And if you're having a conversation, and you start with wonder, and then you come up with an idea that's that's nice and then you have a staff meeting and you talk about how to get it to work here's how we're gonna make you know we want to have a VBS and whatever it is and okay well what's it gonna look like and you do that and then you start gathering volunteers and you're getting ready to go and then all of a sudden the Wonder Inventor guy says well Maybe we shouldn't do a VBS, but we should try something completely different. And you're a week and a half away from the VBS. Well, now wonder and invention are a real problem. And it can also be the case with discernment. Like if I'm wondering, you don't want to discern that yet. You know, don't poke holes in the wonder. We're just going to float around. If you poke holes in it, then that's no fun. But when we, once we get to the invention and we need to actually realize, okay, we're getting to the place where pretty soon we're going to start recruiting people. Well, we better figure out what the gaps are, what the things aren't, aren't going to work are. We've got to get that going. And, and there's people that got to be pulled in to solve that problem. We've got some people on staff that, uh, that don't have that, that discernment, like that desire to hash it out and make sure that it's actually going to work. You know, like, let's do the event yeah, okay, let's go get some people. Like, no, oh, wait, wait, what's the event going to look like? Who, who's your target audience for your event? How much is it going to cost? You know, like, ah, uh, you know, and then that sucks the life out of the, the wanderer and the inventor because they're like, oh, man, well, that's where you hand it to the discernment person. Hey. You go figure out all the little details of how this is actually going to work before we take it and start recruiting volunteers because we'll be in a, in a tough spot. But if you know that there are these six things, then you're not going to be as frustrated by the process. Like, I don't want something to fail. I want there to be good discernment. But if I'm wondering, I don't want to be discerned. But also if we're activating people, if we're if we're finding volunteers and I bring us back up to wonder, you know, is this really even the right direction? Like now that messes up all the other people that are participating. So we don't want to get on the wrong elevation, you know, get into the wrong place. So it really helps diminish frustrations in meetings. I'm gonna invite my wife Trinette up here and we're gonna tell some stories. All right, you ready? She thinks so. (laughs) I'm galvanizing. All right, very good, which is a, sometimes you got to do your frustrations, so we're just going to tell a couple stories, and then we're going to uh, have some Q&A. You were talking to someone about making a sign for the church. We have this wildly talented person who actually uh, went to art school, and like, he's like a fixes things. He's like a mechanic guy, but he went to art school, so he likes to work with metal and all these sorts of things. He's super cool, and uh, we needed a sign. You want to tell that story about the sign?
1: Sure. All right. Okay. So every, it, it, it worked at first. I would I get give him an idea, and he would create this amazing thing, but I'm an inventor, so I would... Say, hey, I want it to look like this, and I want this, and then add this, and here's a picture of what I want, and he'd be like, okay, and then event or he would pass me off to somebody else rather than create it, and I kept thinking, what is the deal? And then somebody else on the team would be like, I need something that's like this, and he'd be like, okay, and he'd be all on board, and I'm like, what is it about me that
0: Right, because someone else would say, you know what, I need something eye-catching that's that's really going to lead people over to this part. And he'd be like, okay, and he'd be so excited, and he'd you know he'd get his little machine that's cutting metal out, and he'd do all this stuff, and it'd be awesome, and then Trinette would talk to him, and he'd be like, eh.
1: I thought specifics were a good thing. Evidently, they weren't. I finally figured out through this model that I was inventing for him, so I was like robbing him of the very thing that gave him the most energy. And it was um, it was like, bing! And I, I said to him, I know what it is now. I, you know, we, I hadn't even talked to him about it, but it, it, like the light bulb went on for him too, because every time that I would try to get him to do something, I was taking all of the joy out of it by creating it for him. And that's no fun, and I think his enablement was way down here yeah
0: exactly I think enablement's a working frustration but invention is a working genius for him and so we were unintentionally robbing the invention part from him and forcing him into enablement where he would have been able to come up with the creative idea and with the tenacity make it happen and it would be awesome and we just need to let him do that and not take too much control of the situation. So that was a fantastic thing to learn. Very, very helpful. Um, one time we were having an argument.
1: <laughs>
0: Be- yeah, I know it's terrible, isn't it? Uh, we've been married how long is it now? 30, 32 years this summer. Yeah. So the joke I always make is, you know, celebrating twenty-four years of wedded bliss on our thirty-third anniversary. You know. That's my joke I always make. Uh, It's all my fault. But um, we were having a little bit of an argument because one of my uh, competencies, one of my middle ones, is enablement. I I think that might be a really important one to me. You know, I'm a people pleaser. And, you know, people are like, that's wrong. You shouldn't be a people pleaser. And I say, well, but people should be happy. Why shouldn't people be happy? Like, that not that something we should do? We should make people happy, right? And, uh, but, you know, there's some dysfunction with that, too. But since I want to help people, um, I was talked into doing something. Because that's something that if you're an enablement person, you can, you'll say yes to people wanting to, you know, hey, would you help me with this? I'm like, yep, yep, I will. And so I said yes to something, and she was like, you shouldn't have said yes to that. It's not going to work. You know, it's this blah, 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 and she's going through this whole list. And I was like, look, we're not in discernment. We're past discernment, past galvanizing. Now I'm in enablement. We can't go back up to discernment. It's not even our call. We're not even the ones who should discern this situation. And she was
1: like, oh, and that was it. It was amazing so so happy So, I think I said oh you're right <laughs> to
0: for praise this. the Lord yes <laughs> yeah we also had um, someone on staff who was absolutely not wanting to crank out the big bunch of details to make something happen and this person just was like oh no uh, I've got to get, you know, this big list of stuff I have to do. I've got this beautiful dream of this wonderful thing, but there's this big list. And this person had an assistant, but they had trouble asking their assistant to do the list of terrible things. Now, the assistant was a tenacity enablement person, but the person who was asking didn't have any of that galvanizing an invention. And so her thought was, I don't want to give this person this horrible work. I should do it myself. And so we took the job away from the person who would have had it be life-giving and kept it on the person who hated it. So both of them were miserable. So And that was before we read the book. And then we're like, oh my goodness, we could have handled that completely differently. That would have been way helpful. Um, So there's all these different potential situations. So those are just some examples that we've been through with the six working geniuses. I do think it's very helpful. Again, you can get the book. You can take an assessment that, uh, you know, 25 bucks, or you can just try to figure it out on your own, which I think is somewhat manageable. But uh, I'm a wonder invention person. So, uh, and then there's the the Working Genius podcast, which I think is actually very, very helpful. So, I encourage you to check those out. Um, now uh, we've got about ten minutes left, five, eight minutes. So let's do some uh, Q and A if anybody has any questions. About oh, yep, right back there. No, yep, you. I think just say it to me and then I'll repeat it. The question is, tenacity. In your experience, what is a tenacity person like in your life? Okay. What is it? I would say, okay, so the question is, what is a tenacity person like in a church setting? And, are they are they ruthless and driven and you know run people over? We got to get this done. That sort of a thing. Uh, I would say after I before I give this to you, I got to do a little wonder, but. Uh, I do think it's helpful to distinguish the working geniuses from like a DISC assessment or 16 Personalities, Myers-Briggs, or Enneagram. It really is a different angle on things. So you want to do those assessments as well. And so the high D person who is maybe a super tenacity person might run people over. But uh, you, can, you can have a soft heart and be a tenacity person at the same time.
1: Um, being a, an inventor tenacity person... I have in the past taken an idea at trying to help someone and run right over them into tenacity, um, not galvanizing them, not getting them on board, not um, getting buy-in from them, just idea, let's go. So I mean you can have that, you can have that sort of whatever you want to call it, that pairing, but it doesn't have to be like that. Usually, the tenacity person is kind of boring, I think. I, you know, like you're checking things off the list. You're the, you're the closer. You're the, you're the one that finishes the project when everybody else has left the building. You know. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I think you know. Obviously, tenacity is vitally, vitally important, or nothing gets done. Uh, and there can be exciting tenacity people, but with. With, like, invention, those people would just want to talk for two hours about, you know, what are we going to do? You know, this is going to be great. Let's come up with this idea, you know. I can do that all day, and it would be great, you know. Um, But, yeah. So you can have a a, a kind, timid spirit and be a tenacity person. You know, that person maybe would slide towards the enablement, but you give them a list. They love finishing it. They're going to go do it. They think it's great. Other questions? Am I a coach? I am not. I am not a certified six geniuses uh, coach. They do have those. Uh, I'm just a guy who is not at all affiliated with Patrick Lencioni or the six types of working genius. I just thought it was very helpful for us. Brought it to our church planting team. Doug Vogley said you should do a, a thing at Equip about that, and I said okay, and then they put us in here, and I was like ah, but that's basically the process. Yeah. So I am not a coach. So basically, how did you get your church on board with this? Basically, um, brought the concept to our staff. I like to listen to lots of podcasts and read lots of leadership books and that sort of a thing. And so I'm always looking for the next, you know, thing that can help make things work better. And then when I saw this uh, program, I just thought, man, you know, this is so intuitive. I mean, don't you have a basic idea already? Like. I'm just, you haven't read the book, I assume for most of you, you haven't listened to the podcast, it's like, oh yeah, six steps to getting something done, you know, you got to think about it, you got to come up with an idea, you got to fix the idea, you got to get people going, you got to have people that want to get going, and then you got to have people finish, like, it's just such an obvious thing, so you tell that to people, and you say, like what do you really like and they're like oh i like coming up with ideas and fixing those ideas okay well let's put you over here and do that and you're like oh i like doing what other people need me to do and really helping people out okay well, let's have you do that then all of a sudden like it just is easy to participate in it's easy to understand it's easy to get people excited about it because they're like yeah i hate doing that and if you can find a way for me to not have to do that then i'm thrilled you know so so basically that was our process uh, for our church was I just started talking about it we had the, the staff do it we had the church board go through the book and discuss it and then we're kind of bringing it to teams and stuff do you have a question yeah or yeah it's you yeah with the hat ask you, can you give us Woo Give examples from the Bible of the six different working geniuses. Well, I would say we gotta start with Martha and Mary. <laughs> Martha's definitely gonna be a tenacity person, and uh, Mary is gonna be a wonder. I definitely would go that far. I haven't thought of this ahead of time. Um, the Apostle Paul, all things to all people, so by all possible means he could save. As many as as he could. That sounds like uh, galvanizing, you know, big galvanizer. He was a wanderer, inventor as well as far as like getting the concept of the new covenant fully established for all of us. Peter was definitely a tenacity guy, you know. He's just like, you know, give me a sword, I'll hit people in the head. I don't have to understand what's going on here, you know. Uh, Let's see. (laughs) What do we discerners, I don't know, uh, James from the Jerusalem Council, you know, sat back and waited for everybody to keep uh, kind of be done talking. And James is like, you know what, here's the deal. And everybody's like, yeah, well, I guess you're right. You know, so he was able to discern on the fly with that sort of a thing. So, um, yeah, otherwise, you'd have to th- I'd have to think about it a little bit more, put a few more in there. But Pastor maybe. Mike, we have time for one more question. One more question. Yeah, right over there. Yes, very good. What do you do if you have too many of one and not another and you don't want to fire anybody? Well, there's a actually quite a few things that you can do about that. You may have volunteers in your church or organization who are able to come in for a short period of time because especially with wonder, invention, and discernment, it doesn't necessarily have to be like 40 hours a week of figuring that out. You know, like, hey, you know, you're you're a business person who's got great discernment, great acumen. Here's an idea that we've got. Would you spend an hour with us refining it and, and figuring out how it worked the best? So you might have to outsource, find some people to do things, but uh, uh, it is very helpful just to know. So going through the assessments, 25 bucks a shot if you go through them. Um, so we kind of just try to figure it out on our own, but uh, if, if, you know, if we're going to have 300 people go through it, you know, we're not doing 25 bucks a shot for that. So, um, so, sorry, Patrick. But, um, uh, yeah, that's kind of the important thing is you can outsource some of that as well if you know what you're looking for.